Hi, this is Chris Castle, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. Weekly music news for the new music business. From the LA Times, comedians wanted Spotify to pay them more royalties. Their albums were removed. From the hustle, the insane resurgence of vinyl records. From Music Ally, Brennan Bill's second reading, What Happened and What Happens Next. And from Music Industry Blog, Audio Mac and the coming monetization remuneration tipping point. It's that funny word, remuneration. Yes, we still can't get it right or still thinks it sounds weird. So we will talk about that and many, many more things on this episode number 70 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your Morning Coffee is on the air. 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 Your morning coffee. The weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Digital music authority. And now from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, what do you say? If, if that if that if that intro doesn't wake you up, I don't know what will. For crying out loud, man! I was a little sleepy, and then I heard that, and I'm jamming now. I oh, I know. I'm, I'm awake. Uh, greetings from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. I know you're in San Antonio, yeah. which is what my second favorite town in Texas. Um, What's your first? I like Austin, Austin? the best, probably. Yeah, yeah for sure. Such a music and food town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's that it's a fun place to be. Although I I don't think I'll ever go back to to the uh, to the conference there. It's like the last time I was there at South by Southwest. It was it, conferences go through these kind of life cycles, and uh, at some point they get too big. And yeah. South by Southwest, for my money, is it's just you can't. It's just insane now. I mean, it's such a blast, but it's just. It's like I don't want to go. It, it's, yeah. it's expensive and it's it's hard to get around and it, it's just not worth it. But uh, yeah. but I loved going in the old days when it was not quite so crazy. Yeah. And well, one of my friends that's a artist manager told me that you you have to have a reason to go to these conferences and yes. you know you might go to South by for the press you might go to Americana Fest uh, you know for uh, the gigs you you know whatever it is you, if you have a reason and a mission. Um, then these conferences really make a lot of sense. But just to go, just to go, it, that was fun back in the day. But like you said, it's just getting so incredibly crowded. Yeah, and expensive. I mean, and really expensive. If you can find a hotel, if you can find a place to stay, and it's just yeah, it's kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, but yeah, lots of great music there in Texas, and we got a lot to cover today. We're winding down the year. God, it's hard to believe that yeah. we're almost out of. 2021 my goodness yeah, we're mid-december already it's crazy oh my god 
gosh, where does the time go? Exactly. I know. Well, let's talk about the great folks that help us get here. What yeah. do you say, Jay? Because we could not do it without the uh, the loving support of our sponsors. We are sponsored yes, in part by TiVo Music Metadata, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo Music Metadata offers obsessively deduplicated artist album and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences, authoritative credits, personalization discovery, and search APIs, uh, purpose-built solutions for classical music, and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. To learn more, mm-hmm. jump over to TiVo.com slash music. Great folks over yeah. there at TiVo doing great stuff. Sure. Uh, your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform. makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features that you need for a professional website, everything is built right in. Hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and your merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free. Try it for free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and they'll give you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with uh, considerable help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Well, speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. The number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. So, big, yeah. big thanks to TiVo Music, Metadata, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town. Couldn't do it without them. Big, nope. big thanks. And, we uh, appreciate we it. super fortunate uh, that we've had those guys with us and gals. Uh, and, of course, you know the guy that I talk to every week. He is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which... A pop quiz is if you don't know by now <laughs> it is weekly music news for the new music business as we are here on the podcast and a former executive with universal sony and warner music groups a man Thank loved you, by all in the industry and a giant <laughs> among giants oh please uh, checks in the mail um and this uh, <laughs> very kind gentleman across from me is mike etchart longtime host of sound and vision radio formerly of sst records warner music capital emi and universal music Boy, Mike, we have every week, there's just so much to kind of go through and uh, talk about. And before we get into the stories, you and I were talking before we hit record, there were a couple of things um, that were reported this week. One is that uh, Adele's 30 is the first album released in over a year to sell a million copies in the U.S. And I thought that was really impressive you know we talked last week about how she's breaking these rules and one of them is that you know 85 percent of the business is streaming and yet she continues to you know sell a lot of physical goods and when we're talking about physical goods we're talking about cd vinyl lp cassette yeah 
time out cassette. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and they also include, um, digital downloads in that, which, okay. Um, so that was really, you know, um, impressive. And also keep in mind that that is traditional album sales, not what they call equivalent album units. And just to remind the listeners, you know, when they calculate uh, the Billboard 200, there's there's a couple of tiers for like on-demand streaming. One of them is paid and the other is ad-supported. And it takes a different number of streams to equate to one album unit. So for example, paid subscription audio streams, that's 1,250 streams will equal one album unit for that chart. And on the ad-supported side, it's 3,750 to do the same thing. So I just wanted to... uh, and yeah, and and to put it in perspective, so it, it's super rare these days to have an album sell a million copies like that. Only three albums back in 2019 have sold a million albums, uh, which would be Billie Eilish's When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, and Taylor Swift's Lover and Harry Styles' Fine Line. And in 2018, just one album released went on to sell a million copies, that being Lady Gaga and Brad Cooper's soundtrack to A Star Is Born. So it's... Yeah. Not happening like it used to, but no. boy, it's it's amazing and, and a testament to the fan base of Adele that you can yeah. crank it out. 692,000 copies in its first week. That's crazy. And then another 225K in its second week. So oh, they're just uh, getting started, too. You yeah. know, the holidays are upon us. And I believe we read last week that there was like a half million vinyl pressed up yes. uh, for Adele. And then that second kind of part to this is, you know, for the first time, no new rock or metal albums made Billboard's year-end 200 chart. And that that really surprised me. But then I went and kind of looked at, you know, what what were kind of the last ones that came through, you know, like the Foo Fighters and Tool and Five Finger Death Punch and some of these. And I guess that there weren't um, any that came out this year um, that were popular enough to make that list. That's kind of shocking, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's really I mean, shocking. The the Billboard two uh, two hundred, uh, as we know, it kind of dates back to nineteen ninety two. Um, that's right after we started using SoundScan to you know track these things, and uh, you know um, the back then you know it was Lincoln Park and Creed and Nickelback and you know um, there have been a lot of very popular you know, rock records and even more recently, you know, with Greta Van Fleet and, you know, Evanescence and, and things like that. So a couple just a little tidbits there, you know, Adele, you know, the first album to sell over a million copies in the U.S. And then, you know, for the first time, no new rock or metal albums uh, in the year end uh, top 200 chart. Ch-ch-ch changes, right? Boy, lots of things changes. changes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's jump into the to their oh, our boy. main our main oh, things. Gosh. This was a really interesting one that, that I actually, since I subscribed to the LA Times, I I caught it when it it came in my newspaper. Um, comedians wanted Spotify to pay them more royalties. Then their albums were removed, and yeah. that is just crazy. Uh, well, you know, it's like. <sighs> You know, it's it's like okay, Spotify. Did you really need to to do that? I mean, it's just it's such bad PR. Um, yeah, but here we are. You know, it's it, it's. It, it's kind of unthinkable. So as they mentioned here, it's like uh, albums by Jim Gaffigan, John Mulaney, Kyle Kinane, and Kevin Hart disappeared from Spotify as a group of comics seeks royalties for their words underlying their recordings. In other words, they want to be paid 
for their material itself as well as the recordings of it. So we're really talking about publishing. That's and right. I guess for whatever reason, and I never had thought about it before this article came out, because when I was back in the day when I worked at Deaf American, we had uh, Andrew Dice Clay, and he was a huge selling artist. And I just, I recall, I, I, he must, he must be getting, I don't, but maybe not. Maybe he wasn't even getting publishing. I don't know. So, well, uh, you know, this, this kind of came about uh, because of a gentleman named Jim King. He's the CEO of mm -hmm. Nashville based company Spoken Giants. Um, You know, he used to be an executive at BMI. But uh, he argues that these, uh, you know, quote unquote, literary, right, literary rights of comedians have always existed under U.S. copyright law, but have historically not been enough potential revenue stream for companies to bother demanding payment. And let's back up a little bit. I think you, you, you were spot on the way that you described this. This is basically just like the music side where you have two... Uh, revenue sources, right? For those that don't mm -hmm. know, you have the master recording and then you have the publishing. And think of publishing as like the blueprint for the house and think of the master as the house. There's only that one house, but you can build a hundred others from that blueprint. Now, it sounds, and, and I just am learning about this, you know, through Jim King, that they haven't typically been paid for their quote unquote publishing, Right. Um, and right. now they they want to be. And so as they reached out to get paid for that, instead of kind of negotiating and having these conversations, Spotify just pulled it down. They're just like pulled it right off their service. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. So like in the day of albums, um, let's take an Andrew Dice Clay or a George Carlin or a Richard Pryor album. It, they were divided on those albums into different bits. So you looked at it and it had, you know, it had 10 in quotation marks songs. So I presume they were getting publishing money from the record labels back in those days. Um, but it sounds like for whatever reason, and I'm going to guess all of them then are not, all of the digital service providers are not paying publishing in that, in that sense, but I don't know. Maybe it's just Spotify. It, it, it wasn't no, really I think it's here. I think it's across the board from what I've read so far. But remember that even you know uh, the spoken giant CEO Jim King is you know said that you know these haven't historically they haven't been enough revenue for them to go after it. And well, now it is, and mm -hmm. with streaming, and they are going after it. And I think part of this is that. Spotify has been embroiled in uh, a battle over publishing and mechanical royalties and types yeah. of payments and things for a while, whether it's M&M, you know, it's, this has been going on and, the, you know, they've settled these things, but they have been at odds, right? And, and now, you know, our friend Chris Castle even has a quote in this LA Times article and he says, quote, Spotify has done to comedians what it did to songwriters who complained that the company was unlawfully profiting from their works. Close mm -hmm. the door after the horse has left uh, the barn with a takedown. Um, I thought that was super interesting. And Chris wrote an article about it, which is in your morning coffee this week. And I love the headline. A comedy of errors. Spotify screws up again by locking out comedians who dare to talk back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it sounds like it was too aggressive of a you know kind of a response 
to this, but given the almost adversarial relationship um, with Spotify, I can see, you know, why this has happened. Yeah, it's just, it, it's a super bad PR move at the very least on their part. I'm just stunned that they would do that. It's like, really? I mean, you're paying publishing on everything else. Why would you exclude comedy? And why would you pick a battle at this time as everybody is kind of coming at you from all sides saying, you know, maybe this is not, uh, you're not being fair to artists as there's their valuation goes up. It seems like somebody in in the PR department should have kind of handled this a little differently without a doubt. Yeah. You know, Chris says it's, it's called indemnity. You know, Spoken Giants is attempting to negotiate with Spotify for the rights to reproduce and publicly perform the actual spork, spoken words in the comedy act, almost always written by the comedian. Notice how this is written quote, given that Spoken Giants is disputing what rights various licensors have that passive voice, quote, is disputing, unquote, is the key. If the licensor, you know, like Audible, for example, represented to Spotify that they had the rights uh, for the comedian's copyright rather than just the recording, uh, which the licensor may own, then along with that would have gone to indemnification, in which case Spotify would, would have just turned the claim from the Spoken Giants back to the licensor and demanded indemnity. So it gets a little bit muddy. It gets a little bit yeah. complicated. But the bottom line here is we haven't really thought about comedy like a musical composition with the publishing and the master. And I believe now uh, with this, it's kind of a groundbreaking thing. Now with Spoken Word, it sounds like that's going to have to happen. Well, but again, I, we should actually ask Chris this, you know, but in the days of physical product, they must have been paying, but maybe not. I, I, that's what I would love to know. What you know, in those old albums that we all had growing up, what you know, they're they're delineated into in quotation marks songs on a given album. Did they not have to pay publishing? I mean, it's well. There's a compulsory the license with music, and there is not a compulsory license with spoken word, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. You know, uh, Chris says in his article. Um, on the other hand, comedians are not subject to a compulsory license or statutory rate, so they have a chance at a free market rate through individual negotiation or at least mm. extended collective licensing. So right. this is uh, this is new. This is different. Yeah. Wow. Well, I know. Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah. By the way, if you Spotify. if you ever want to dig a little deeper in it, um, music business worldwide. I love their podcast, by the way. Um, Tim Ingham covers this in great detail in their okay. podcast. So if this is something that uh, is near and dear to your heart, you're, you want to learn more about it, uh, definitely check out the two pieces that we put in your morning coffee. Um, but check out the Music Business Worldwide podcast with Tim, Tim Ingham, the last one. Uh, he covers this in, in really nice detail. Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of like, like in fact, Warner Brothers records, their their early successes, like we're talking now, early nineteen sixties, uh, pre Beatles were comedians, Bill Cosby, yeah. Bob Newhart, and you know th those those albums really, you know, kind of set them up for success, and yeah, so you know they've they've been the backbone of, of a lot of music companies and a lot of successful albums over the years you know Richard Pryor records George Carlin yeah. records those things sold hundreds of thousands of well here's the thing Mike and you touched on it is that comedy is kind of an early adopter now I remember working at Universal when downloads first started and the first things that we started selling were comedy 
the first things. It wasn't music. Uh, it was Ron White and it was Larry the Cable Guy, which we had at the time. <laughs> and I remember coming is. to the meetings and at first it was, you know, a few dozen and it was like, okay, no big deal. But then I remember this kind of tipping point where I would come to the sales and marketing meetings and my numbers were bigger than, you know, the CD and, you know, yeah. there wasn't, I don't think there was vinyl on those then, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. the downloads the were surpassing, product. you know, the, the CDs and that was all with comedy initially. Yeah. Crazy, 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 crazy. Well, it's, it's, uh, watch the space. You think, yeah. Watch the space. <laughs> exactly. Because just when you think you haven't seen, uh, anything new lately, this pops up and yeah, um, something again, we haven't you know, really thought about. Yep. And, and it's, it's, I, I'm always sometimes flabbergasted when, when you see a company's response to something like that, in this case, just drop the albums. It's like, oh, yeah, really? Nobody wins with that. Uh, no, but uh, to be continued. Yes, indeed. Uh, this next article from, uh, you know, gosh, we've talked all year. We've talked about the resurgence of vinyl records and just the backlog of manufacturing and how complex it is in terms of the production cycle and the, yeah. and the chain. Um, but here we are. This And this article is actually a really, again, we often talk about <laughs> great graphics. Uh, this is on The Hustle, uh, thehustle.co. Yep. And it's these, the insane resurgence of vinyl records. Of course, vinyl has reclaimed its throne as the most popular physical Physical music format, but can the industry meet the demand? And they really lay out in a lovely format. Um, it's like an infographic, if you know what is. that is. And, and is. by the way, at the end of the article, there's for those that want just the text, that's kind of it's near the end of the too. article. But I yes. love this infographic. And this was all put together by Zachary Crockett uh, over at The Hustle. And just, yeah. just a fantastic job because look, we're visit visual beings, right? And we need to have some charts and graphs and photos and things and not just text so our eyes don't gloss over. And they took a lot of data and made it visually appealing here. I thought they did yeah. a great job. So just for, you know, if in case you were wondering, back in the early 70s, that's really when vinyl sales peaked. And that was 530 million units in a year which accounted for 66% of all music format revenues. So that was the peak. And, and then the trough... Uh, as it said, the revenue fell from 2.5 billion to just 10 million dollars a year as we headed wow. into the 90s. Read, read that again. That is a massive drop. Yeah. So 2.5 billion to just 10 million a year as we headed into the 90s. So wow. that gives you an idea of kind of the, you know, the the mountain and then the valley. <laughs> but yeah, it went from 66 percent to 0.1 percent of market share. Right. But as we start tracking it in the past 15 years or so, sales of new vinyl have gradually increased. In the first half of 2021 alone, 17 million albums were sold, which is an 86% jump from just last year, or yeah, just last year, 2021. Um, and again, you know, this is old technology, and you and I have talked about that a lot. And a lot of the people that were involved in it in the heyday, long since retired, a lot of those companies closed down because of the considerable shrinking demand so and last year for the first time since 1986 vinyl records outranked cds in annual sales since yeah. 1986 <laughs> uh and then this year they're on pace to more than double cd revenue so we're yeah. talking again it's gigantic you know and, and i've said this every time we've talked about vinyl I, I, even if i go back in a time machine 
I would never have thought that we would have this resurgence. I, I never would have thought, you know, and when we were there, we've talked about, we were both there at, at the end of the vinyl era. We were kind of coming into the business. And um, when I, when I was at SST, we were, I was, we were still doing a lot of vinyl records. This is like in 88 uh, or so. Um, but CDs were coming in and it was clear that it was just, you know, it was, it was going down and going down fast, yeah. but here we find yeah. it, you know, and a, a, a poll back in 2019 found that 31% of adults in the U S are willing to pay for vinyl. Who knew? Who yeah. Knew? Well, and I think the numbers would be higher if we didn't have the logistics issues and COVID mm-hmm. and all of the challenges that we've had, you know, with direct shot and everything that we've reported on, have really kind of conspired to keep these numbers lower than they could have been. So Correct. vinyl yeah. is doubling, but it could have done even more um, had there been, you know, better supply and all of those things that we uh, we mentioned, not just on the vinyl, but on the paper goods that go with it. And, you know, we had more capacity at some of the pressing plants um, because, uh, as we've talked about before, color variants are so popular now. Oh, yeah. And it's not uncommon to have multiple color variants for one release, and every time you change your color variant, you have to stop and clean uh, the machines, and it, it takes more time. So, yeah, and, and I love what you were just mentioning about that poll that, that found that you know almost a third of adults in the U.S. are willing to pay for vinyls, but there's a nice little chart there that shows... Uh, that's just adults in general, but baby boomers, 36% are willing to pay for vinyl. Um, yep. And I think that's that's really important, too, because I think, that, you know, just as a focus group of, you know, a few friends, you know, the younger, um, like my kids, they, they love actually playing the vinyl, whereas some of the older folks just want it as that Collectible. signed thing, you know, they can put on their wall or on their shelf to show how cool they are. Yeah, absolutely. If it's interesting to see when you look at the best-selling vinyl albums of 2020, of course, a lot of the vinyl resurgence is classic albums and and catalog stuff. But the the top two sellers in 2020 uh, were, were Harry Styles at the top at 232,000, uh, the Billie Eilish album When We Fall Asleep 196,000. Then it has Queen's greatest hits, Abbey Road from the Beatles. Um, but you know, when you when you see the top two albums in vinyl being new artists, new albums. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, really it is. Remarkable. Rounding out the top five is that soundtrack of Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a new release, but of course it's catalog music. Right. One of the things that this article also mentioned, which is which we don't really talk about a lot, is it right. says these figures don't even include the millions of used records sold yes. through online marketplaces like Discogs and eBay um, or local record stores. So, you know, all of that stuff is also fueling the interest of yeah. used records. And, and it's uh, not counted. Crazy. And we talked about that yes. when, even in the CD era, we talked about how when CDs were resold, those numbers aren't included. And they should be. And I don't know if you've played with Discogs, but it is one yes. of my favorite platforms. Uh, you awesome. can go in there and you can, you know, if you want, you can kind of identify what your collection is mm-hmm. for other people to see. You can see other people's collections, but you can see the marketplace on what's going on, not just with vinyl, but just with music across the board. And I love their emails that I get, I think, every month or so. 
where it lists, you know, the most expensive albums that were sold on yeah. Discogs and, you know, what people are, are finding. It's If you haven't visited Discogs, uh, do yourself a favor and set up an account in there and uh, check it out. It's a lot of fun. A lot of great articles. It's really a wonderful site. Um, and, they, of course, they mentioned for if you're an indie artist, you know, you're not making any money on streaming. Uh, but if you do have a, a decent fan base and you're able to, to manufacture vinyl, it's costing about seven bucks these days to to manufacture, and a band would typically sell it for twenty five bucks. So you're looking at about eighteen dollars in profit. Uh, they said a band would have to amass four hundred and fifty thousand streams on Spotify to match the profit of one hundred vinyl sales. So <laughs> that that kind of puts it in perspective, right there. Well, it does, and they have a little chart here that even goes further. For that same one hundred vinyl album sales, you'd need you know almost a million YouTube plays you know you mentioned you know spotify's 450 same with uh 450,000 is same with amazon um apple pays out uh a little bit less or a little bit more i mean so that would be about 259,000 uh spins uh to get the profit of a hundred vinyl sales so you can see why it's so uh important for the revenue of bands um, yes. number one. And there's so many great platforms out there. If you can't afford to go and do a large pressing, uh, of vinyl, um, check out, uh, well, check out, um, what's it called? Crates, Q R A T E S. They've yeah. purchased some, um, capacity at pressing plants around the world and they'll do a run for as low as a hundred for you. But there are other areas out there, or other areas, other platforms out there that will uh, help you to create your vinyl. But uh, but the art, the article also talks about you know kind of the master disc, the stamper, and pressing plants, and kind of the 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 uh, the, the production process that one would go through. And then they and also something you too- brought up though, Mike. Sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. Something you yeah, brought up is the the price of PVC. You told yes. me about that. I, I hadn't even considered that. And they actually have a chart illustrating what you mentioned, which is the astronomical rise of the cost of PVC. Yeah. And I always forget what PVC is, but it's polyvinyl chloride, in case you're wondering. And I I work with the pipe all the time on our on our ranch, and so uh, I'm pretty familiar with the price of pipe. <laughs> it's good, dramatically increased. It's it's the same basic material, and yeah, it's gone. If you look at the chart from 2017 through tw- through the end of 2021, it's crazy. It is, yeah, it's almost tripled. So, and of course, lots of other things are doing that as well. In in this kind of supply chain problems we have right now, but uh, right. And they also right. mentioned, you know, the dearth of pressing plants. That that when vinyl declined in the 80s many plants shut down and so there's only about 40 ish existing yeah, globally today yeah yeah globally that's so, not a lot that's right. given and all then the don't demand forget, last year a fire wiped out one of only two plants in the world that make the lack the, the lacquer discs so you know there are tremendous forces kind of pinching the, the production of it right now so it's a miracle that all the stuff that's getting out is getting out, quite frankly. It is, with what you just mentioned, and also the lack of the machines. It says that yes. you know, most of the specialized machines used to make records are 50 years or older and almost impossible to find. And a few, there are very few companies that are making new models. And, and when you do get one, they're like $200,000 and they're backlogged. So it's not an inexpensive kind of uh, business to get into. And then something we've talked about before is the, the labor uh, shortage, you know, just skilled workers yeah. required to operate these machines. Um, 
It's, and the machines are so cool. You know, it's like when I, when I was working with Doug Sachs, the late, you know, famous mastering engineer. He and he 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 made his mark in the business in the days of vinyl by uh, by basically the the quality of of his mastering for albums. And uh, you know, yeah. he was he had gone digital and put his lathes away, and then he he brought them back out when I was, when he was still living when I was working for him, and yeah. um, they look so steampunk. You know, they're these lovely things. I think his lathe was made in the forties. Um, so you know, you're looking at things that are eighty years old, and yeah. they're delicate and they you know they break down and but man they are cool looking they're just these mysterious machines that that you use yeah. in this process you know sean rakowski um who runs a pressing plant wrote an op-ed for uh, your morning coffee a mm-hmm. while back and really talked about a lot of these things that we're talking about you know the increases in pricing and the lack of machines and the labor shortage and all of that um and he talked about lead times and you know in 2000 19 the lead time for vinyl was only like six weeks but then by 2020 that had doubled and now for this year um the typical lead time to press vinyl is 27 weeks yeah yeah oh it's an, it's unbelievable that's almost you know it's literally six months um but that's what it takes and you know we as you know we work in a in a business or when we were when we were principally employed by major labels um there's not a lot of patience in those buildings. <laughs> you know, it's like they want a record to come out now. And it's like, hey, it ain't coming out, you know. Yeah. And and uh, it, if it's six months, that's how long it takes. And, you know, like we talked about, the, the, this, it's not just stamping out a single thing. And that's the way it was in the first round. It's like, yes, you would occasionally do special colors or something like that. But then you just did regular vinyl. And that was it. And that's so now every product is flipped yeah. exactly and that is also really contributing to the to the time length for for manufacturing because it's all you know they'll they'll want four different colors on a run of of 5000 records and it's like oh it's 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 a you can see why it's taking 27 weeks uh to get a new vinyl in, in, into the stores so yeah yeah and with all of that you know physical is still around 10% of the music industry um so we're working so much harder on yes. that, on that on smaller that piece of uh, that pie. And of course, digital downloads are still around uh, 5%, which surprises me. Um, but of course, that number is, is diminishing. And shrinking, of course, streaming as we talk about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a streaming world. So really great infographic. If you want to get a sense of what's going on uh, with this uh, resurgence of vinyl again, that was Zachary Crockett over at The Hustle. Yes. Do the hustle. Bum, bum, yep. Bum, 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 bum. Bum. I got, as soon as I saw it, yeah. So let's, ju- <laughs> but I digress. Uh, this for Music Ally, uh, the Brennan Bill, second reading, what happened and what happens next? So we are jumping over to the UK because so much of this activity uh, in in talking about remuneration and things like that and, and everything with streaming and, the, and whether it's, it's, uh, enough revenue for artists it's being focused on the uk and so yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week that it was it was coming um and we couldn't wait to hear what happened you know when they um you know read this bill uh last friday and there was a debate uh, among the members of parliament however 
the bill was not passed and is unlike, mm-hmm. unlikely to make any uh, further progress. So it's, it's a huge disappointment uh, for those that were fighting this uh, fight. Um, but they're claiming, you know, it's, it's certainly not over yet. And the Brennan is a guy named Keith Brennan, and he is a member of parliament. And so hence the Brennan bill. And the bill sought to introduce, an, to introduce equitable remuneration. There you go which I will never get that right, Uh, for streams, transparency, uh, obligations for music rights holders, contract adjustment, and a right of revocation for musicians, which, uh, of course, we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum at times. But but again, it's, you know, they have a similar thing that we do, and bills die uh, when, when they're being debated. And so... This well, one we kind of saw this coming a little bit because it was fairly drastic. It was a pretty big move, um, the way they wanted to share the revenue. I think ultimately we will get there. Um, here in the United States, we're you know embroiled in this battle with the CRB, uh, Copyright Royalty Board, which we've been talking about a lot. Um, I do think that... Um, and one of my predictions for the end of the year, which you and I were talking before we, we got on that I'm, I'm, uh, I've written this, uh, kind of piece, uh, for Hypebot on, uh, my predictions for 2022. And one of them is surrounding this, which is, you know, there's now a groundswell of support for songwriters to be paid fairly, um, mm-hmm. it, but it's going to be a battle because the DSPs don't want to pay more than they're currently paying. Um, but the publishers should be getting more and the labels don't want to pay more. So it's, it's going to be a fight to the bitter end of who's going to actually pay a little bit more. So these songwriters are remunerated. Well, and we're going to talk about a really interesting, the next story is, is really interesting and it kind of, you know, it, it's informed by this a little bit. Um, but even if they doubled the rates, right? We've talked about this too in, in previous episodes. Even if they doubled the amount of money they're paying out, it's still not going to be a meaningful amount of money for most artists, right? So, how do we how do we how do we adjust for that, or what can we do to maybe make it even more fair? So that leads us into the next story. <laughs> but you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, yeah. We're going to get there, I think. Um, but where, what there is, I'm not sure yet. And that's, I think, where we kind of have to leave it is, you know, what's what's the next, what are the, what's going on with the MPs in the UK next? How are they going to, they're going right. to re- redo this one and then, and then have that discussion again like we do here? Probably. Um, but yeah. what is that, you know, but is it going to be a watered down thing that won't matter ultimately at the end of the race? Well, I think there I are two know. things at play here. Um, the The CRB that we've been talking about is super important and mm-hmm. things are developing there. And I believe that there will be changes and um, we'll see what happens uh, with how much uh, the publishers slash songwriters uh, will get a raise. But the other part that I think a lot of people miss, um, and we talked about this on the music biz weekly podcast this week is that in the United States, you know, songwriters don't get paid when their song is played on the radio like they do in most other right. companies. And we had Blake Morgan on, um, and he has this uh, hashtag I respect music um, movement. And it's really all about the American Music Fairness Act. And he is shouting from the rooftops. And I think that we're finally getting people to take notice. So mm-hmm. I see that helping songwriters, at least in the United States. 
and also this copyright royalty board uh, number four, uh, which starts in 2023, but the process has already started, um, but it wouldn't go to, into effect until 2023. CRB3, um, which set the rates at 15.1%, that is still in, it's being challenged. It's it's not yeah. uh, implemented yet. So I get that it's a little complicated if you're not following this stuff really closely, but just suffice it to say that all of this is coming um, to the forefront now and is being discussed and being debated. And I think it's going to help the songwriters eventually, but something's got to give the economics of streaming the way that it is, it is not working. Some people, well, let me put it this way. Um, some people were upset with Daniel Eck because number one, he's worth like $3.8 billion. Let that sink in mm -hmm. for a second. And then the other part of it, you know, he's buying this AI company, which he has, perfectly has the right to do but the part that people miss sometimes while they're complaining about the streaming payouts is the value of the company so spotify as a company is you know it's got this value that's growing and the artists aren't participating in that value now some of the investors some of the majors are invested into spotify and they may participate financially in that so that has to be brought to the conversation as well so yeah uh to be one of those one of those things that we say you know to be continued because it is and um it's really starting to heat up here in the united states with the crb yeah absolutely so the last story we're going to talk about today is um about AudioMac and the coming monetization remuneration tipping point now this is from music industry blog um and it talks about how we are approaching this tipping point. Long and mid-tail creators are fast realizing that even with the most revolutionary of changes to royalty structures, like we were just talking about, streaming is never going to deliver enough income. It's, it's a highly effective monetization tool for larger rights holders, right, for, for the majors and creators, but has a remuneration problem for the long and mid-tail. Always going to be the case in platform businesses. Um, so how do you kind of address that? And I kind of, and I've heard about AudioMac, by the way. Uh, I, in terms of, of DSPs, they're they're one of the smaller providers, right? But they've they've been they around are, for almost ten years. Yeah, and they're they're kind of big in places like Nigeria, um, you know, Kenya. Um, so places like that, uh, they've got a, a bigger foothold. But this comes back to something that. You know, we discuss frequently because it's super important, you know, things like Tencent in China, you know, mm -hmm. where so much of their revenue is based on things like, you know, virtual goods and tipping. And that, excuse me, that's exactly what this is, is that you get, you know, you can purchase your, this kind of, you know, banner, this thing um, that shows that you're supporting uh, this mm -hmm. artist and it makes you cooler than the other fans because you have this, this icon, this thing. And, you know, fan support is becoming more and more prevalent and popular outside of China. Um, and I think that's what AudioMac is bringing here is so you can show that you are a supporter by getting one of these support badges. Exactly. Uh, and it's it's um, it's 
it's basically yeah you could it's like a tip jar i guess it's sort of a tip jar for a streaming service that's probably the best way of saying it and as it says it does three things simultaneously it drives artist remuneration it monetizes fandom and it empowers fan identity so you, they know who you are you know you're yeah. tipping them and imagine even if you just you hear a song a new artist on the radio you're like ah, i like that i'm going to tip them a buck that buck is far more than they're going to be making on streams that entire month, if not that entire year, maybe. Yeah. And so, you know, it doesn't take much to to really make this meaningful to artists. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're getting some traction, Audio Mac is. They've got a deal, uh, a licensing deal with Warner Music, um, yep. at least for those key African territories that we we mentioned, you know, Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, you know, those types of places. Um so they were the first one to sign a deal with them. But in March, um, Audio Mac uh, secured a partnership with uh, DistroKid, you know, yep. making that the first time that, you know, the, the music streaming service, you know, had formed a, a partnership with a direct to artist music distributor. So this is a thing. And we talk about experiences a lot. We talk about tipping. This is a kind of a hybrid of that where it's, like you're right it is tipping but it's also almost an experience in that now you're showing that you're a supporter you're one of the bigger fans and you can get recognized uh by the artist yeah absolutely and it kind of is is also sort of a a a uh, reaction maybe not the right word but kind of a um you know, they mentioned you don't need to do NFTs, those non-fungible tokens, to mm -hmm. do this sort of digital collectible or, or to remunerate in a way that NFTs work. So um, this this kind of concept uh, is 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 cleaner, actually, I, I think, than, than the, I, I'm still so... Well, we've talked a little bit about NFTs and how there was a, a, a big, big buzz about them. And it's certainly cooled down in the last several months. Do you see it jumping back up again, or is it still kind of... Uh, you'll have to wait for my predictions. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> it, it is part of my predictions. I think that there are going to be more of them, and mm -hmm. it's going to be integrated into the release cycle, but there, there'll be less of these massive million-dollar NFTs. It's really going to be more of part of the offering, I think, especially gotcha. in 2022. So uh, more to to come there was a comment in the comment section on this article by jacka diamond and jacka said great way for iconic artists to get financial love from their fans it's not beneficial to an uh, upcoming artist like myself with less than 250 monthly followers but i'm not knocking the idea and it's definitely the way to go i i would challenge that um, because i found that some of my favorite artists that I really want to support are some of these new developing artists that don't really have a base yet. And I think it is a good place. And I do think that they can find some support there because it's like that article where you only need a thousand fans, you know, that, right. that they, they support you. I don't think it's a matter of quantity. I think it's a matter of quality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, it's a step in the right direction. You know, whether others will follow uh, other DSPs remains to be seen. But I think it's it's like we've said, the the, the, the dialogue is getting um, intense isn't the right word, but it's getting more plentiful um, about remuneration and really fairness for artists in terms in this streaming space. And uh, whether it's what's going on in the UK or this sort of thing with Audio Mac. It's addressing 
real needs. And so how that turns out over the next months and years will be interesting to watch. We, of course, be talking about it a lot. But yeah. you can feel the, or at least I can feel, the, the groundswell of, of ideas and of, of criticism and things like that. So it's really, it, it's becoming more and more uh, constant in terms of, of how yeah. what we talk about is going on in the business and things that yeah. need to be addressed. So And I think these innovations... Yeah, I agree. I think these innovations are going to come from these smaller companies because the the bigger dogs, you know, it, it's a lot more challenging to launch something like this if you're Spotify. You know, you need to kind of see how it works with Tencent, see how it works with Audio Mac, and it looks like it's doing very well. Audio Mac only has three percent of the U.S. you know streamers, um, so they can try something like this, and you know. Uh, yes. adjust it and work with it and see uh, and build on their um, successes. But I'm excited for these uh, these types of innovations because it just means more revenue for artists. And uh, in a streaming world where there's not a ton of revenue for the middle class uh, recording artists, these types of things are very welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, interesting as we wind down the year, interesting to see, again, these things, lots of things kind of bubbling up. And and, and like you said, the, their size is a good thing in this because oftentimes it's smaller companies that do these development That's and, right. and kind of out of the box thinking in a way that the big guys and gals can't. So yeah. I'm tipping my hat to Audio Mac uh, this Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when uh, when uh, those predictions that we we've been discussing, when when that uh, article is published, we uh, we can talk about that here too and and go through some yeah. of those. I I, I would I, love to kind of get your take on some of those, and um, I'm sure we'll come up with a few between now and then. Well, you showed me a draft, and uh, it's going to be that, that we have many things to talk about when that's when. The, when, when are they going to post it before the end of the year, or is that at the beginning of the new it's year? It's a. I don't know. I'll have to talk to Bruce. I think it's a year end thing, so it okay. could be. I'm I'm guessing you know sometime near the end of uh, December, but uh, I I can't wait to see what everybody else is thinking. Like you and I, we kind of have a sense of where we think things are going based mm -hmm. on these trends, but. Uh, everybody has a different take. If you're from the publishing world or the touring world, you have a different take than we do. So I'm mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see those year in projections and predictions, and then kind of see how they how they play out. It'd be super yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's going to be a heck of a year with, uh, and I think uh, the, the phrase remuneration is going to be one of the biggest topics of discussion in the music business over the next year in 2022 yeah. without a doubt without yeah. a doubt well before so we wrap make, up oh, i wanted ahead, to ahead. sorry i just want to say um before i forget you know uh, this week michael nesmith um passed away uh, from yeah. the, the monkeys and he was such a big part of my my growing up and uh just you know he was the guy that was on the cutting edge of like music videos i don't think we would have had mm -hmm. mtv if it wasn't for michael nesmith absolutely not and, yeah, a, a yeah. very uh, interesting guy and, and a lot of skills and and really the well there were two musicians and two actors in the uh, in the monkeys and it turns out the musicians were pretty good actors and the actors were pretty good musicians in the end and so but he came in with actually having some uh, a, a bit of a history in songwriting and as an artist and uh, 
course, wrote a lot of songs, a uh, different drum for uh, the Stone Ponies with the Stone Ponies. Yeah, the Linda Ronstadt band. Um, and, and he had several hits on his own after the Monkees. And so it's super talented guy. And then, of course, his mother invented Whiteout or Liquid yeah. Paper. So uh, so he had funds with which to to uh, to do lots of fun things like that. But yeah, what a what a yeah, what a super talented end of an era. Yeah. yeah so sorry to, to hear of his uh, his passing. But uh, just wanted to make sure we gave a shout out for uh, Michael Nesmith this week. And I also wanted to, you know, you and I have talked about the Beatles Get Back, the Peter Jackson documentary, which we both loved. There's a great article. If you go back to uh, if you go online and look up Sound and Vision magazine, they did a wonderful breakdown of how that movie was made and what uh-huh. how it was made originally and what they had to do and you know there's so much technology that went into that particular movie and boy they developed software to separate some of the sounds that was uh, that were on the original tapes all, all kind of smooshed together and it's a fascinating read so if you kind of a, a geek about that particular documentary and how it was made originally and what the challenges they had in bringing it back to life for that documentary series that just came yeah. out uh, fascinating article. I'm glad you brought that up because at the very end of your morning coffee this week, um, there are are two articles about the Beatles and Get Back. One is titled, Here's What Happened to Get Back's Non-Beatle Characters, and that was from Slate. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see all those people that were in the yeah. studio and either what happened to them or what they're doing now. So that's number one. And then the second article was the Beatles are pushing D to C to breaking point. And it talks about merch and some of the merch for the Beatles and uh, how expensive some of this stuff is. And it reminded me, I saw Elton John at Madison Square Garden uh, once and I wanted to, you know, come home with a, you know, a hoodie or sweatshirt or something, you know, and, and I went over and I was stunned at how expensive the merch was, like outrageously priced. Yes. And, and I didn't bring anything home. Um, as a souvenir, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, just out of principle. Um, but somebody explained it to me that some of these artists, it's not about the money. It's about, you know, oh, well, Madonna charged 130 for that. So I've got to at least charge that. For, you know, I'm making that up. But you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. part of it is based on ego and not necessarily, you know, what should be the correct <laughs> price for that item. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, it's a, a, interesting you mentioned Elton as he comes back for his last tour in January that he starts back up again, uh, having recovered from a broken hip. And so, uh, yeah, you can bet that uh, if you're going to those shows, and hopefully I'm going to go to one of those shows, um, take your credit card if you want to take some merch home with you because it's going to be pricey. Yeah, it's my, my buddy Matt plays uh, bass with Elton, and uh, I I won't miss a show, you know, for that reason. I've seen Elton so many times, but because Matt's uh, along there, I, I won't miss a show. But, you know, it's interesting with Elton. He's one of those guys, like, he's got this big hit with Ed Sheeran uh, right now. Yes. And he's been so good throughout his career at doing duets. And I'm not talking about Kiki D. I'm talking about, like, Eminem. And he played, you mm-hmm. know, with Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses and... You know, Sean Mendez. I mean, this is a guy that throughout his career has picked just so much immense talent and then done duets with. Um, what an amazing, amazing career. Well, you know, and you and I, we both have a mutual friend who is very close with Elton. So, um, and this person has known Elton for many, many years. And Elton is nothing if not a voracious 
listener and consumer of music. And to this, you know, he has, if you look at his history or read his biography, even when he was a little kid, he would go through the charts and he'd he write knows them down. those chart he positions. Knows, he remembers them. Absolutely. Yeah. He remembers them. And uh, when he would, his first trip to Los Angeles, you know, he would, he, he would even, through, as long as they were open, he would go to Tower on Sunset and he would spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And he would just buy, he was, he knows more about various artists and music and, and it's not, it hasn't stopped. He is so aware of every contemporary artist. I think he has a show on, is it Radio One or one of the, one of the, or maybe it's on Apple Music. I can't even remember now, but, um, and he's, he, he studies and he listens to yeah. B-sides and he is so well informed. He's a musicologist. He is yes. a musicologist, absolutely, and yeah. so it's uh, he's an interesting chap and and very unique in that respect. He yeah. is he is to this very day just always aware of what's happening. So yeah, it's gonna be a big tour. He's gonna he's gonna do okay, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So on that note, Jay, what do you say we wrap up episode number seventy? And it's been a uh, lovely to see you. Safe travels Great home seeing from you. San Thank Antonio. You so much. Thank you. Absolutely. And folks, thanks for listening because we certainly appreciate it. We recognize you have many choices out here in podcast land. And the fact that you are listening to us today, we uh, we say thank you. We really yes, appreciate sir. it. So on that really note, we will it. be back next week for episode number 71 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.